This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Heidi Murkoff, and I'm a mom on a mission, a mission to help you know what to expect every step of the way. It's definitely the happiest surgery you could ever dream of having, but it's still surgery. Whether it's scheduled or last minute, a first or a repeat, let's face it. A C-section isn't a box on a birth plan you were likely hoping to check. But let's face this too. 
A cesarean delivery is something you and every expectant parent should be prepared for. That's because C-sections are pretty common in the U.S., with close to one in three moms ending up with one. The upside to a C-section, it's very safe, and in some cases, the safest way to deliver a baby. The potential downside, if you're a mom-to-be with your heart set on a vaginal birth, the news that your baby needs or may need to be delivered by C-section can definitely be disappointing. Scheduled for a C-section, hoping to avoid one, hoping to avoid a repeat, just plain stressed about the possibility you might need one, just trying to do your labor and delivery homework. No matter what, we've got your back and your belly. Today, we're delivering everything you need to know about C-sections. I'm here with my good friend, maternal fetal medicine specialist, Dr. Sarah Obachon, who is medical director of Mother to Baby Florida and assistant professor at the University of South Florida. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you back. We always need you for advice. (laughs) It's clear how much you care about the moms you care for. And your empathy and your reassurance, and you're easy to talk to, um, which is so important when a mom is stressed out about something like having a C-section. So let's talk about C-sections as if I were your patient. Close to one in three moms in the U.S. end up having a C-section. Now, the WHO believes that rates should be under 15% if C-sections were only done for medically necessary reasons. Why do you think rates are so high in the U.S.? That's a great question. There's so much uh, struggle with this. They were working on over so many years. Uh, I do think they should probably be lower. I don't know if it's possible to be less than 15% Mm -hmm. in the country, but they certainly seem like they should be lower than they are. And it's always a really tough emotional discussion with the with the patients because some patients do really need one and it's really the safest for them and their baby. If you have a placenta accreta, if you have a placenta previa, so it's covering the birth canal, your baby really shouldn't come out uh, vaginally under any circumstance. But there are some times that, gosh, did that baby really need to have a cesarean? And that's a question that's being worked on nationally, uh, kind of really higher level work, looking at data of how to decrease that first cesarean in women. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that right, is that sometimes it's harder to get a VBAC to have a vaginal delivery after a C-section because some hospitals won't do it. Some hospitals are scared of the medical legal aspect of it, um, or their doctors won't perform it, or I don't for multiple reasons. But if we can decrease the the chances that a woman the first time around is going to have a C-section, this is where we would be probably winning the most. Yeah, because if you avoid the first C-section, then you're going to automatically reduce the rates. That's right. And we're going to have a much better chance of having the second one vaginally. Right. Do you think that getting your care from a midwife, assuming that you are low risk, makes it less likely that you'll end up with a C-section if all other things are relatively equal? I think that depends. Just like anytime you think about doctors, good doctors, you know, somebody you don't really click with, the same with midwives. I have worked with midwives, some wonderful midwives in my career here at USF and also at George Washington University. And sometimes the criteria to be their patient is rather strict because they know if your weight gain during pregnancy is not very high, if you are an otherwise healthy person, if you are nutritionally um, 
doing well, then your chances of having a vaginal delivery are higher. So it depends. If you have a, a midwife who is able to guide you in that process and, and do that with you, then that is, is wonderful. But also, it might kind of dissuade some people from seeing a midwife if they feel a little bit marginalized, like I, they couldn't keep the weight down for some reason. So it kind of works a little bit both ways. But finding the right fit for you, I think, is the most beneficial for each patient. And that right person could come in the form of a maternal fetal medicine specialist, or it could come yeah. in the form of a midwife. That's right. Or a combination which is always right. possible. What are some of the most common reasons for a medically necessary C-section? You mentioned placenta previa. And of course, placentas can do a lot of moving during pregnancy. So you shouldn't assume too early on that you're destined to have a C-section if your placenta is low-lying. Right. But what are some other reasons why you might have a planned C-section? So for planned C-section, the most common reasons are things like uh, fetal malpresentation. In other words, the baby is just turned the wrong way. It is transverse or it's breech. That is one of the bigger indications for a planned one. Sometimes twins uh, will be more likely to be planned. Sometimes uh, when the baby is very large is whether or not it's a good indication for a C-section is a different discussion, but oftentimes that will be uh, one of the reasons that's quoted for the cesarean. And what about reasons that come up during labor for a C-section? The two most common ones tend to be uh, labor dystocia. In other words, you've been trying to have a vaginal delivery, you've dilated a certain amount, and you're not dilating anymore, or you're not dilating quickly. Or the other reason is that the baby may or may not be tolerating uh, the labor. So there's uh, what was previously called non-reassuring fetal heart tracing, so abnormal tracing uh, on the monitor. So in other words, if the baby's not doing well, then it's time to move straight to a, a safer birth through C-section. Yes. One of the things we're looking at in terms of how we define whether or not there's an abnormal tracing, and this is the part that I think helps a lot on an institutional basis, um, kind of large number basis, meaning that I can teach a lot of physicians uh, or nurses how to appropriately interpret some of this fetal heart rate tracing so that everybody's using the same language and really what is considered to be a risk is risk uh, versus not having the same kind of communication and maybe misinterpreting some of the, the fetal heart rate tracing. And is it sometimes just a matter of changing mom's position? Yes, there's a few things that we can do in labor that can help the fetal heart rate tracing. We can change mom's position. Uh, we can actually sometimes uh, infuse fluid if the mom's already ruptured. We can put a little bit of an amnio infusion, meaning we put a little bit of fluid into uh, the uterus in order to buffer a little bit of that uh, fetal cord so that that has less of these decelerations on the fetal monitor. So there are a few tricks that we can do. Once and for all, let's clear this up. Do epidurals make a C-section more likely? No, epidurals are rather safe. It's one of the most commonly uh, performed procedures because C-sections are most commonly performed procedures uh, that we don't think it decreases the chance of having a vaginal birth. Um, sometimes, and this is sometimes anecdotal too, it's like, well, sometimes it helps just to relax all your muscles to be able to have a vaginal delivery. I see that as a choice every woman can answer for herself, whether or not she's interested in something like this and a good discussion with her doctor and also with her anesthesia doctor. But it doesn't matter at what point 
in the process you have your epidural there are no rules about you can't have it too early no no this is something that every woman should be part of that conversation this podcast is sponsored by skylight calendar let's be real running a household can be exhausting and chaotic and finding the perfect mother's day gift it's not exactly a no-brainer until now the skylight calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone especially mom some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most the skylight calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores dinner planning groceries and to-dos for the whole family the skylight calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com/easy. That's s k y l i g h t c a l.com/easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com/easy. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep tight stories. Listen to sleep tight stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Mm 
Now, does inducing labor lead to a greater risk of C-section? This is something we were taught even when I was a resident, and there is now really great evidence that an induction doesn't increase the risk your, of your C-section. And this study was done relatively recently. Um, when is the best time to deliver? And then induction itself isn't the culprit for the cesarean. I don't think we should really be afraid uh, of inductions as we used to be. And what about being admitted to the hospital too early in labor? Does that increase risk? That's a great question. I think that one's harder to answer because sometimes, you know, when you're looking at so many things, like you're looking at a fetal heart rate tracing, and if you're acting on it too quickly, then maybe there would be an increased risk for that. But you never want to tell the patient, oh, stay at home for as long as you can, because you then you really don't know how she is doing or how that baby is doing. There have been some hospitals who've been putting restrictions on when a mom can come in that, you know, I've heard, for instance, in some military hospitals, you have to be six centimeters which seems like a lot to me. It seems like a lot, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because you can go very quickly from six to 10. Yes, but... and also, you're right. I mean, women progress very differently. If you've had a baby before, and just women themselves, I have patients who, even if it's their fourth baby, it takes them a long time to have a vaginal delivery, but they do. Yeah. And then there's moms who, you know, they're two centimeters, two centimeters, two centimeters, mm -hmm. and then then I'm called because I'm running to catch the baby. So right. it's hard, right? It's hard to, to make a cutoff for every single patient. Oh, for sure. Now, if an OB pushes for a C-section and mom's kind of like, I wish there's some way out of this, what are the right questions for her to ask? That's a great question. I think one is really important to have a good communication with your doctor, right? Make sure that you obviously trust their judgment and that you know them and they know you while you're having that discussion. You know, some things, even if you don't maybe understand, if you trust their judgment, like, my goodness, it's easy to say yes, because if it's the right thing to do, it's mm -hmm. the right thing to do. But things to ask, like, okay, is this really necessary? What do you think the risks are to me and my baby? Um, you know, could I try a little bit longer? And, and you can read the person too, if they're like, look, I'm really worried about this for this reason. And they give you really good reasons. I mean, you really need to trust the doctor that's helping to take care of you too. Especially if you've chosen that person you feel most comfortable with, that's a great place to start. Yes. What are some ways of reducing the chances that you'll have a C-section, things that you can do during your pregnancy or even before? So being in optimal health is really important. That is just for good pregnancy outcomes in general, taking care of yourself, making sure that you are managing your diabetes or your high blood pressure to make sure that you're managing your weight. It's important that you have an appropriate weight gain and talk to your doctor what that appropriate weight gain is. We know gaining too much weight during the pregnancy may increase the risk for a cesarean. Um, being obese may increase the risk for a cesarean. So those are the things that we may have some power to, to help ourselves in our pregnancy outcome. Doulas. Research has shown that having a doula at your birth may reduce the risk of a C-section. Why do you think that is? It's so interesting. I think it's wonderful to have continuous labor support, right? Somebody who's really in your corner, who has some training, is really there to be your help and your voice through the process. And just like with anything, you know, good doctors, bad doctors, good midwives, bad, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just that you have to click with somebody well, yes. right? And if you do and you have the right support person, I think that's wonderful to be a part of that, that labor process. 
And I think that, well, clearly the doctors and nurses aren't there 24-7 with you, but just having someone there by your side the entire time can reduce your stress level, and hopefully that makes a difference. But also, you know, just positive affirmations, getting you into a position that's perhaps going to help the baby move down. Massage doesn't hurt, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Positive affirmations, you know, even imagery and positioning, like you said, massage, all those things are really positive. Do you think that it's important to have childbirth education class, take a class, even if you know you're having a scheduled C-section? Yes, I think that is a good idea, especially if they cover C-sections, right? C-sections can be scary. I think some of the some of the concern my patients have is that obviously they haven't had one and they don't know a lot about people that have. Maybe they don't have positive stories about people yeah. having C-sections. And there really are. I mean, some women tell me when they have done both that they prefer the C-section. Mm. I mean, who would have known, right? But just understanding and knowing what to expect really does kind of change your outlook on what's to come. Definitely knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a patient use hypnobirthing? Yes. I've been part of that too. Um, I think anything that helps a a patient in in terms of relaxation is important. I don't know that hypnobirthing will take care of all that pain. It's kind of really hard. I think the best thing that works is an epidural if pain and pain management is your main concern. But something for anything that positively affects you, imagery, meditation, massage, I think are all helpful during labor. Yeah, we definitely don't want to rely on on hypnobirthing to deliver during a C-section. Right, correct. <laughs> we want the juice. You don't want me to do that. No, no, no. Um, let's talk about VBAC a little more. Tell us who might be a good candidate for a VBAC and who might not be. Great candidates for a VBAC are those women who've had a vaginal delivery or who've had a C-section and then had a, a second vaginal birth. Um, that makes things a lot easier. Uh, BMI um, comes into that equation, our age comes into that equation. So there's a few parameters that are really important and these things can be calculated by their healthcare provider. And you had mentioned that some hospitals are not big fans of VBACs or perhaps won't allow one. So this is a conversation you need to have with your doctor well ahead of time. Absolutely. This is a conversation early in your pregnancy that you should discuss do you guys offer vaginal births after cesarean? How is that done? Do you have anesthesia at your hospital 24-7? Am I a good candidate? How can you help me understand that? And if that's not the right fit for you, then trying to find somebody in your community that would be able to do that safely. And an option if your baby is, as you mentioned, transverse, which is side to side or in a breech position that wouldn't be favorable for a vaginal birth, having using procedure like external cephalic version, which is turning the baby or possibly other spinning baby techniques. I don't know how you feel about those. But the idea that maybe you can get the baby to move into position so that a VBAC or just a vaginal birth in general is more likely. Yes, agree. I think that all those things are an option. Um, Definitely speaking to your doctor about doing an ECV and explaining to you what it is, what are the risks and benefits of that, how that is done in their institution. And do you feel safe about that being done in the hospital setting? And if it was an emergency, what would be done next? All those are good questions to ask for the external cephalic version, which are usually done 
before term, like 36, 37 weeks. Great. I feel like every mom should be prepared for the possibility of a C-section, even if all systems seem to be a go for vaginal birth. You never know how labor is going to progress or not progress. And even if you're being scheduled to deliver at a birthing center by a midwife, it's always a possibility. So knowledge is power. We're going to get empowered about C-sections. First of all, what kind of anesthesia will you probably have if you have a C-section? If you're going to have a C-section, there's a few ways to do this to make sure you have appropriate pain control. The usual is something we call spinal anesthesia or an epidural anesthesia. Um, spinal is just something that happens at one time. Needle go, the medicine goes in and it's good for a couple hours, which should be sufficient time for a cesarean. An epidural will give you a little bit more of pain control afterwards uh, with a maybe like a pump that you can do yourself uh, so you have a little bit more control there. And then in some cases, depending on the high-risk cases of the pregnancy, that may have to do general anesthesia where the woman has to go to sleep, but those are less common. Will you be allowed to have your partner with you during a planned C-section? In our institution, we are allowing uh, a partner to be there during the time of delivery, either vaginal delivery or cesarean, to have that support person present. And you should always check with your specific hospital and your specific uh, OBGYN group to discuss who is available, who's able to come to your delivery. How many hospitals are making cesareans more mom breastfeeding friendly? Some hospitals call them gentle cesareans. So you have immediate skin to skin and breastfeeding if it's possible. Yeah, that's a really good big trend that's happening. And I think it's a positive one. The idea of just, even though this is surgery and, you know, it's very technical and we're all trained to do this, to make this more of this loving environment of this is actually the birth of a child. And in our institution, we do things like a clear drape where the, mm. there's a clear drape that is put up and the blue one comes down when your baby is being born. So you are able to see part of that process. You see your baby immediately as I am cleaning up the baby for you and the baby's being resuscitated. The baby is there with you. And then as soon as the baby is given off to be checked quickly, it's put on your in your chest and we encourage breastfeeding early. Um, there are a lot of these different mechanisms that are happening in different hospitals that are helping moms feeling more connected more quickly with their cesarean delivery. I think that's so great. I've even seen a drape with a portal in it that a couple of nurses invented. Have you ever seen that? I have not actually seen that. I'm so curious. That would be so wonderful. I think it'd be an interesting um, uh, thing to just to watch. I I would be fascinating, but I have not seen that yet in our hospital. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com easy. 
That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you, here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. What happens during a cesarean? Uh, Your baby's born. Hopefully you're not going to feel anything in terms of pain, but what will you feel and hear and possibly see? Yeah, so one of the things I try to explain to patients is that, look, you're going to be on this table. There's going to be a lot of people on you. Uh, And I try to empower them, you know, to say, look, you're going to have your anesthesia team right next to you. And I am literally a blue drape away. Like it's so thin. And you and I can actually talk during it. If everything's going safely, you and I can have a conversation. And I was like, talk to your baby. And when your baby is ready to come out, I'll let you know. And so they don't have pain per se, but they may still experience some pressure because I still need to push on their belly a little bit to get that baby to come out of that incision and show the mom, obviously. But um, there might feel some pressure that kind of feels odd because their pain sensation is very right. different with the, that type of anesthesia. Um, I tell them about the stark light. Sometimes uh, you know, people are like, wow, it's just so bright in here. It is because we're doing surgery, right? So it's a little bit tough. But we try to make things a little bit more calm by picking the music that they like to hear, uh, what they want their babies to be born to. So 
we have these little tricks that are being implemented, but uh, I try to warn them of all the things they're going to be experiencing. Well, I'm sure you are so reassuring. That makes a huge difference. Oh, I hope so. I think any birth is really a positive one. Getting a healthy mom and healthy baby is really what we can all hope for. About how long does the C-section take from start to finish? That's a great question. So if we're doing it for the first time, in other words, we've never had abdominal surgery, that means we are not really going to anticipate having scarring Mm. uh, during the cesarean. The C-sections are relatively easy to do. I mean, even though it's a lot of training goes into that, it's not a very difficult surgery if, if you've been trained well. And so it can take only like 30 minutes to 45 minutes um, in a woman who has not done that before. In women who had prior C-sections, there might be a lot of scarring, mm-hmm. in which case we have to be very pedantic about how we do things and make sure we put back things away exactly the way we were um, and deliver the baby safely. But uh, in that case, it might take longer an hour and a half, two hours, even depending on how much trouble we may find. So you could be there for a while. Yes. What is your partner going to see if he looks during the procedure? There is a lot of blood flow in the uterus during the time of pregnancy, so and a lot of water. And when water is mixed with even a little bit of blood, it's going to look very <laughs> bloody, even <laughs> though it's actually lots of fluid from the baby, right? Right. So if somebody is squeamish, they may feel like dizzy when they see it. So we try not to have them look during the time period. All this fluid is coming out. But depends. You know, some people are physicians or nurses, and they feel comfortable kind of peeking or something like this. So I think that's fine. How will you be closed up? after the surgery? So as soon as the baby comes out, we take care to close the uterine incision first, Mm -hmm. which is that muscle that's closed. Usually the incision is what we call like a very low transverse incision. So it goes down almost where your bladder is. That is closed up. It contracts nicely. The uterus becomes smaller. So you have decreased bleeding. After that, depending on the surgeon, they may close some smaller layers, but everybody closes the fascia, which is that big, tough, and a very thin layer that is holding all our organs inside our abdomen. Um, that is always closed up. Sometimes some of that fat is closed up, so we decrease the chance of having uh, what we call like a seroma, which is basically a little inflammation and infection of the fat tissue. And then we close the skin, and we usually do that now more with um, suture. What are some surprises about recovery? Swelling is one that I hear a lot, a lot of swelling, as well as Vaginal bleeding. Moms don't expect because they didn't deliver vaginally that they would have vaginal bleeding, which they do just as if you had a vaginal birth. Gas pain, referred pain, um, hard time peeing, pooping. Yes, all of that. So you're right. Just because we delivered in a different way, you still may have some swelling. The swelling of the labia might be there, lower extremity, meaning your, your feet might be still more swollen. That's all expected as the fluid that's in your body is now going back into your vessels that takes time and then it's getting processed by your kidneys and then essentially you are urinating that out. So that all takes a little bit of time to settle in. The same for um, bleeding. That uterus was still had a baby and it still is contracting and the natural kind of systems of things is that it's going to go down in size. And as it's doing that, it's letting go of some of that blood. And you still may have some vaginal bleeding for even a few weeks. Slight, it shouldn't be a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you do have a lot of bleeding, we absolutely want to know about it. But slight bleeding for the next few days, even a few weeks is normal finding. So wearing a pad is important. Sometimes women have uh, this funny sensation where 
that they have an incision for the C-section and their skin feels numb. And that is often the time where we, we have a C-section. Some of those nerve endings are cut because you don't see them, so it's impossible to kind of not do that. And you may have some numbness there for a while, and that takes a few, few weeks to come back, even months sometimes. Also a pretty normal finding. Maybe some inflammation that should be checked out or infection, making sure that it's always nice, clean, and dry. But if it looks inflamed or angry, it's always a good reason to visit your doctor. I uh, wanted to mention a few suggestions that moms had on my Facebook page after C-section because nobody knows what to expect better than a mom who's had a C-section. And they said for packing for the hospital, even if you don't know if you're going to have a C-section, high-waisted, very loose underwear, as well as high-waisted, very loose lounge pants so that there's no pressure on the incision a belly band and a pillow to hold against your incision. Definitely for the ride home, a lot of moms find it helpful to clutch when they're getting out of bed, but also uh, in the car. And for nursing, to avoid putting pressure on the incision. One mom actually suggested MacGyvering a maxi pad to cushion the incision, which I thought was ingenious, right? Yeah, we do that a lot for patients. I think anything like that can give a little bit of a buffer between your clothes that might be tugging on it It would be helpful. I think the belly band idea is really nice idea because it gives you a sense like something is helping to hold you in, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it gives you a little bit more support when you're taking your first few steps that are getting out of a chair into a bed and so forth. The first day after C-section usually isn't so bad. It's the first, maybe the third or fourth day that gets a little Mm. bit tougher. And that's kind of your, like, you hit your bottom, you know, and then you get better and better with time. And it takes a couple of weeks to really feel yourself again, maybe even a little bit longer, but every day does get better. So how much pain would you expect to have? Do you think moms have more than they expect to have or less? And how do you feel about medications? Would you suggest they try um, alternatives to prescription pain meds or should they go for the prescription ones? I think pain is very, very individualized, and we have to be really open to having that uh, one-on-one discussion with patients. I do think we shouldn't be giving opioids to every single person, but it is still a surgery, and it might be needed in the first few days. It doesn't mean you have to do this, and you shouldn't be doing taking opioids for a long, long time, uh, but you maybe would consider that in the first few days to really get you through that. I think the combination of an anti-inflammatory and as needed an opioid and Tylenol are all helpful, Mm -hmm. right? So a combination of this that works from different angles help to manage that pain. Sometimes even lidocaine patches that we put Mm -hmm. on the skin just above the incision are helpful to the patient. So there's, there's different modalities to do it. And again, like the combination might be the best. Is breastfeeding different with a C-section? I know that a lot of moms find that their breast milk takes a longer time to come in. What's your experience? Yeah, that probably is true, but I think really understanding that and really having a good support team with you where the baby's going to be put on the breast early on, maybe even in the operating Mm. room while we're closing up or soon after when you get to your recovery, um, or if the baby's being tended by the NICU team, let's say, then really putting on, on the breast pump and initiating that simulation early. All those things are really helpful and reaching out to lactation consultants within your hospital or outside, I think it's always a really good investment of time and money, even if you have to cancel it because you're doing great. You know, it's one of those things where 
we don't get a lot of training in this uh, as new moms, right? Like we don't get a lot of teaching in this and to get a lot of support for that is really important. Totally. Taking a breastfeeding class ahead of time is a great place to start, but I feel like lactation support is critical. And you won't necessarily have those problems immediately. It's more likely to happen once you get home from the hospital and your your milk comes in and, you know, you're a little overwhelmed by everything going on around you. That's when you might need the support most. Right, right. How much harder is postpartum recovery for a cesarean delivery as opposed to a vaginal delivery once you get home? Are there more restrictions? Probably on average. Now, you had some women who had really difficult vaginal deliveries and they're in pain for a long time. But on average, women who have a C-section do have pain for longer and they may have incisional pain that is just obviously because it doesn't exist in a vaginal delivery. It's just different. So it is a longer process of recovery. You know, it does maybe require more pain medication. It does require more care. It's harder to get back to driving. Mm. You probably need a little bit more time before you do operate any kind of machinery and that's usually a car. (laughs) Operate your baby. Um, That's like as complicated as it gets. Right. And it is, that's the complicated part. Finally, what's your message to moms who are understandably disappointed scared that they need to have a C-section, disappointed afterwards. I mean, my message is always when it's all said, done, and snuggled, the only part of your labor and delivery story that really matters is the happy ending. That's the healthy mom and the healthy baby. And really, any way that you get there is pretty much okay in my book. What do you say to moms? Yeah, you can't really stress that enough. I agree. I mean, really, the the safest way is the best way to go. Whatever gets you home safely with your baby, that's the that's the way to do it. Sure, I agree. We should decrease our C section rate safely if we can, one hundred percent. And we should work on that not only individually amongst ourselves as physicians, but as patients, but also as institutions and nationally. Uh, But in the end, until we we fight that fight, it's important that you take care of yourself and that you really feel like you've done everything you can and you have. You've delivered that baby safely. You've done all that hard work. And coming home safely with your baby, that's that's our goal. That's everybody's goal. That's an unqualified success, I would say. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Obaton. And for so much more on C-sections and recoveries, Go to whattoexpect.com. Baby love, my baby love, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm always here for you. What to Expect is always here for you. We're all in this together. For more on what you heard on today's episode, visit whattoexpect.com slash podcast. You can also check out What to Expect When You're Expecting, What to Expect the First Year, and the What to Expect app. And we want to hear from you. Connect with us on our community message board or on our social media. You can find me at Heidi Murkoff and Emma at Emma Bing WTE. And of course, at What to Expect. Baby Love is performed by Riley Beaterer. What to Expect is a production of iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In my arms, why don't you stay? Need ya, need ya, baby love, ooh, ooh.
Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.